Social Impact CX, the podcast that helps you drive mission and make a difference with customer experience. Hey, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Social Impact CX podcast. I'm John Corrigan, and I'll be your guide to how you can drive mission and achieve social impact with customer experience work. This is episode 24 of Social Impact CX, and again, thanks for listening, as always. This episode is part three of my conversation with user experience expert, Matt Arnold. This is the the third of three episodes of Social Impact CX, where Matt and I are talking UX and CX. And before we get to the episode, I always have something that I'm grateful for. And today, I'm very grateful for a very specific type of research, and that would be ethnography. Now, everyone that I run across is, is not necessarily always familiar with ethnography. In fact, it's one of the the subjects that I find myself explaining more often than not. Uh, Even in the world of customer experience work where ethnography is particularly valuable and beneficial, um, I personally, I think that ethnography is a bit of an unsung hero, especially in the world of customer research or research used to uh, better understand beneficiaries or clients or whomever. Um, If you're working to get a better understanding of what it's really like from someone else's perspective, what it's like in their shoes, what things look like when seated in their chair. Uh, ethnography is really, really important. It's, ethnography is based on the concepts that come from sociology, which it, it differs quite a bit from other market research methods many times found out there. Think about going to someone's home or their office or their school or their community center or wherever it is and sitting down with uh, that person across the desk, uh, in the library, uh, wherever it is, in in their living room, at their kitchen table, and asking about uh, a particular experience or a product or a service or whatever it is that you're working with. You know, what did they like? Uh, What did they not like? And how do they recall uh, finding out about it or, or discovering this part or that part? What are their recollections? How did they feel? How do they feel now? Uh, what would they like to do again? What do they hope to never have to do again? It's those types of questions that get you into ethnography work. And what's really interesting, almost always I find, is that when you get results and findings back from ethnography work, and this is qualitative research uh, most typically, uh, your work when you get the findings back then re- really turns to putting yourself in the mode of listening and appreciating and trying to gain a better understanding. Because it does not matter whether someone is right or wrong when they're being interviewed or surveyed here in an ethnography context. That's not what this is all about. Uh, Ethnography is uh, not whether you uh, agree or disagree with their recollection or assessment. Uh, It's getting to hear and better understand things from their perspective. Not your perspective, their perspective. And when you take ethnography into a nonprofit or social impact setting, I, I think it's really powerful. And the insights can be truly extraordinary. In a traditional for-profit business setting, where you're working to better understand a paying customer's perception of something, uh, which then can then lead to greater relationships and loyalty and profits, Ethnography can actually lead you to ultimately much better business, better returns for the shareholder, greater profitability, uh, margins, whatever that is that you're working on. But in a nonprofit or social impact environment, the empathy and insights that come from ethnography 
can lead you to helping more by understanding better with more insights and again not rightly or wrongly just with greater understanding and empathy those insights can help you determine where the opportunities are to help more it's all about your mission whatever it is you're trying to achieve whomever it is that you're trying to help this is all about better understanding from the perspective of the beneficiary or client or maybe the customer so that you can help them more and that's the magic of ethnography if you're not familiar with the field of ethnography i really uh suggest that you it's a place to spend some time and learn more and that brings us to this episode of social impact cx in episode 22 talking about user experience and customer experience we started our conversation about ux and cx with matt arnold and uh, the subjects of teamwork and design and collaboration and culture, they all came up. And then in episode 23, episode two of three in this series, we continued the UX and CX discussion with some additional exploration about how do you get started in UX if, if, if you're new to it or if your organization is new to UX. And then in this episode, episode 24, which is now part three of three with Matt Arnold, we'll again cover several topics. And this time specifically, we're gonna go into research. And whether you're doing UX or CX work or both together, you'll need to commit to research, which is something I've said before here at Social Impact CX. And I'm taking a guess, I will most likely say it again in the future. UX and research. That's what we're talking about in episode 24 of Social Impact CX. So again, let's get back to the conversation with Matt. Let's talk about research, because I think research is so in the research methodologies if you begin with the end in mind now i'm not talking about the research findings yeah i'm talking about what type of research you use and so um social impact cx and customer experience work i've, I've talked about ethnography yeah um and also some of the surveying methodologies with voice of customer in that uh could you talk a little bit about uh research methodologies used in user experience work specifically yeah, I'd say for us, there is actually uh, a wide variety of quantitative and qualitative elements. Uh, and another thing that we might, and I'll, I'll dig into some of those and, and make sure that we're explaining those for right. for listeners. I think another thing we, we do is we'll divide up, and it's not dividing, like it's, it's more across a spectrum, but you might have more generative research or you might, you know, have evaluative right so even at ACT that was a lot of evaluative type of research right, right. or summative like at the end is this thing yeah. working the way it's supposed to for the test results right but when you're doing a lot of ethnographic is also observation for generative what seems Absolutely. to be going on do we understand this space yes uh, so we'll look at uh, generative or formative uh, we'll look at uh, um, summative or evaluative research uh, we'll use qu- quantitative measures, qualitative, quantitative. We're really looking at kind of the what or the size. Uh, also, that's a lot of in business where we're, we're seeing a promise uh, and maybe not a fulfilled promise of big data, right? Right. It, but that's giving us more of, uh, it is giving us numbers back on how we operationalized something. Uh, so sometimes uh, you know, we'll talk about what gets, uh, what gets measured gets managed. That's true. Right. Yeah, so yeah. You be careful on, on what measurements. What you measure, exactly. Yeah. And then also how you articulate that because sometimes we get stuck measuring things because it's easy to measure. And then, then we're, we have a business focused on measuring the wrong things. Yeah. Uh, and so what, what are good measurements? 
and then on on the quanti- or qualitative side, that's when we're looking to explain getting into the whys that sit behind what right. might be going on. Those we're spending a lot more time with a smaller data set to really understand it. Uh, but those sometimes early on we'll be doing observational research or we'll be doing early interviews uh, and right. and to doing uh, usability tests. Like yep. can are they successful? Uh, using this product or service, this interface, and ta- and using some techniques like think alouds just while they're doing it, right. just tell us what's going on. You know, it, literally think aloud. So what's going through your mind when you're, and that's where you. Well, I'm looking at the screen. I'm kind of confused. All right, I think I want to do this. I think that makes sense. And uh, being able to talk to uh, uh, customers or par- research participants about. Okay, what is confusing you? And, right. And in the approach for research, uh, looking at research for me is not just data collection, right? It's across this whole activity of how do we plan the research? What are we trying to find out? Right. Uh, why is that important to the organization or right. to us? Uh, how do we think we can best collect that information? Uh, then what are, what are the, the hard realities of yeah. time and budget that we have? And, and so there's always trade-offs to what's the most effective way that we can get better at understanding right. our customers throughout uh, a product or service life cycle, too. Right. So how do you apply something like uh, A-B testing, where you have version one, version two, which do you like better? Um, how, do you, how do you create this broader context of what you learn from A-B testing, as opposed to just the you can say 57% of people preferred A. Yeah. Uh, but there's actually, how do you derive a broader takeaway from that? Yeah, I think uh, one is making sure we're using it appropriately. Yep. I think that's just like, just from a, a research and ethics side, make sure you're using the right tool for the right purpose. Uh, but with A-B testing, sometimes that's, uh, do, that's getting into, do we have a large enough data set? Yep. Right. And But there's, there's, there's really robust ways of testing it, and then there's also, you know, for me, uh, maybe more guerrilla style or cheap ways to do that. The more technology we have, so sometimes you might even be testing messaging, and you can do uh, cheap online ads, yeah. just even to see is somebody responding to a color. Uh, so, uh, and just as in this case, the a, a B is a version of a variable versus another version. Uh, sometimes we're trying to do that with words. Which word seems to be perform more? Uh, in the for-profit sector, I was an online channel manager at Best Buy, and the numbers of people that hit the Best Buy website are so high sure. that uh, we could start running an A-B test where certain people are getting different versions of the website, and we would see uh, very quickly what what label is performing better. Uh, but sometimes in, in smaller environments, you have smaller numbers, you can't quite measure, but you, right. you could do it with your emails too, right? right? You could test titles, uh, right. right? Does this subject line respond better? Right. So, the, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of A-B testing. Right. Uh, it's just making sure you know uh, sure. when it's appropriate. Right. And so it, it, I think that gets brought up as an example a lot, but the, well, I think there's a couple takeaways. First off... Um, I don't know if those of you listening have listened to the prior episode of Social Impact CX that talked about some basic research methods. Um, while it's great to get qualitative input from your colleagues, anecdotal insights from the field, if you will, 
nothing replaces proprietary input. You got to talk to the customer, to whomever you're serving. Make sure that there is no filter, and that you're getting those inputs directly. Yeah. N- now, the the second part is, um, I think whether you're using these findings that you have in from most likely a qualitative scenario in a guerrilla style or whether you're making um, a broader decision on that is very situational. And I would I would never discount uh, the value of guerrilla style activities. Let's go test this, let's go ask a, uh, a few yeah. people and see you know what, what flies, what doesn't fly. It, I think it's, you have to understand what is the broader intent that you're trying to achieve? Are you making a commitment on the scale of what Best Buy would be making. Right. And, and that may not be the volumes yeah. of Best Buy. It may be just that's it's that important to your organization. Or is this something that, hey, it's new. And, and you know, the people that we tested, they like this one better. And so right. we can go with this for now. Um, I, I think it's really... And then just being conscious about that. So, uh, you know, before you present your guerrilla-style findings to a board of directors... You want to understand what this means. It might be fascinating to find out what, you know, taking a pulse of the market says. But yeah. um, if you're talking about investment over the next three to five years for a major initiative or business line, that, that's a whole different deal. And it's up to you to understand that. Right. right. Yeah. So that's, I think, just making sure that you're applying the right, right technique in the right context. That's it. And, and so part of that is just being very intentional about what are we hoping to learn and how are we going to apply this information. Okay. So what are the couple of three top research methods or tools that you would say for someone who's doing UX work? Is there a greatest hits list? Well, I think, you know, like you said, AB, uh, especially for a quantitative, like measuring is what, what's working. Uh, for me, a lot of uh, think aloud uh, more on the yeah. the qualitative side because that that can work with um, uh, even rough concept drawings uh, down to uh, uh, high fidelity concepts yeah. to to something that's in production. So I'm a I'm a big big fan. I tend to uh, I love to consume quantitative data and I've designed surveys. Uh, actually, out of grad school, my first my first job was I was a, a research analyst at a market research company and I'd have to design quantitative and qualitative uh, uh, studies. Right. But I, I prefer qualitative. Uh, I like designers, uh, uh, UX researchers to be able to uh, do, do interviews. Uh, you mentioned uh, ethnography. Yeah. Uh, ethnography, I think, is super powerful because it's forcing you to get out of the office. Yeah. Because uh, even if you're doing uh, interviews, a lot of times we're doing those over the phone or through Skype, but really seeing the environment in which somebody yeah. is using a product or service yeah. uh, is is super powerful. Yeah. Uh, and so I like uh, you know contextual inquiry. I like doing more ethnographic uh, elements. Uh, I also like uh, sometimes we call them ride-alongs. Yeah. Uh, it's just when somebody is doing something. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, we've done work with a large uh, ag uh, manufacturer, and that really is like riding in a tractor, in, in a uh, 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 you know in the machine in the combine, 
to see how does this really work? What what's going on? Right. Um, you always learn something. Yeah. You always learn. With my my start my startup journey map. The other day I had um, a journey map customer their surveys completed and so they it was time for them to pull live a project and I pulled live a, a web session and I asked them if I could go along for the ride and I, I learned things I've done that multiple times in my own projects and that watching somebody else do it um, uh, it, it's you never fail to learn I, yeah uh, I mean the worst case scenario is that you may confirm almost everything you know but I think that's that would be a highly unusual situation you almost always gain an insight that you didn't have before. There's a uh, UX uh, uh, speaker, uh, a guy I think highly of Jared's pool, uh, does, does a lot of uh, industry work. And uh, one of the things that he uh, tries to do with his teams is ask that they go no lo- longer than six weeks without talking to or observing a customer. Wow. And so just that you're always staying yeah. in touch. What, what are they trying to accomplish? We're seeing a lot of that in the innovation space. Actually, yep. there was some deconstruction of the uh, jobs to be done framework and some other innovation, like some of Clayton Christensen's work. Yep. Uh, I wish there was more emphasis put on it, but you'll note there's always a step that's basically talk with your customers. Yeah. The interesting thing is it's not as easy as just talk to them, right? Because there's a, right. a good practice, but being able to talk to customers, ask them questions, or even simply observe them is is super helpful yeah yep you never fail to learn something that's all i have to say okay so let's talk about this in a social impact context um when you think about an organization that has a nonprofit mission or they've put um uh their social mission first and then they're they're going about life as regular business then after or they're you know a b corporation or whatever they um they have both of those uh, both make doing well and doing good at the same time yep do you think there's what's your lens on ux in that type of environment well i i think and uh and feel feel free to rein me back in because sometimes i think about this as going back to more user-centric or customer-centric practices yep. Uh, Because sometimes I think about the UX elements, though, could be do the recipients or beneficiaries, uh, do they understand what is happening in a transaction? Yeah. And so that's where sometimes I think about in different contexts, different nonprofits. I mean, we shared ACT and the large kind of education mission-driven nonprofit. Uh, I was also on the uh, board of directors for a a nonprofit theater company. And where we were applying some user-centered design was really trying to understand um, uh, internal stakeholders, what, what they really thought the mission and the vision was. And doing a lot of interviews, we did, a, uh, we did some uh, metaphor-related uh, questions. Sometimes those are helpful for me to understand where somebody's coming from. But we were like, if, yep. if this theater company were a car, yeah. what kind of car would it be and why? Because uh, it really helps people think about the attributes. Uh, but one of the things that was interesting was uh, most of the board members asked what if it was a cereal, what would it be? And frosted mini wheats. <laughs> sometimes it's sweet on one side, but sometimes it's a little challenging. 
it's a lot of fiber sometimes. Right. Otherwise, yeah. Right. So, so uh, but that that gave us insight, and so it was a little bit of uh, design practice to even help articulate the way they saw the world, and then what they saw as challenge. But then we we would also try to apply good practice, and so I think that's that's another element of UX is. Just how do you make things easier to use? How do you make yeah. it? How do you make it well, easier for customers I to do business with you? I think that's such a huge point. Um, so a lot of companies, if you're talking about a product or a workflow that's dependent upon technology systems yeah. or whatever, you know, um, making things easier to use can kick off a huge political fight. Yeah. Uh, I think what's really important in a nonprofit scenario is that. When you make things easier to use, and your ultimate goal is to really help more people, yes, um, I, good UX can actually help you help more people. And if there's more people that can get through the forms you're asking them to do, or more people that can figure out their service, these services are available or whatever. Um, you know, you get a couple more people through to a scholarship or a health clinic or you yeah. know, any other number of social services situations. You've just helped more people by understand by understanding how there. If you if you gain empathy and understanding for what they find challenging, and you can fix something, it, there's a there's a real result in that. I I absolutely agree. Yeah, I think so. Some of what I'm hearing in that too is also maybe some internal efficiencies that might be gained because you can spend more time working directly on the mission rather than answering questions because somebody's confused yeah, or it's not quite working the way they thought it would those those are ways that uh, UX can help yeah. um, one a couple years ago uh, I was talking to uh, an analyst from Forrester yeah specifically on nonprofits and uh, could have why you why you might take a customer user-centric approach and it was really interesting because one of the things he said is he, he was he was uh, in this case, the, the nonprofits that were more government agencies in this context. Right, right. But he said, when things work, people don't complain. When people complain, watchdog agencies start digging in. Sure. Right. So if your, if your thing works the way it's supposed to, there's fewer complaints. And then you know, the time that you're spending dealing with watchdog organizations because people are confused, frustrated, or complaining, that's right. time you're not serving your mission. Right. right, so that's just another, it's, it's kind of abstracted out a little bit, but um, things that work yeah. don't invite lots right. of problems. By everything from whether you're reducing friction or providing easier or more meaningful access to something, those are all things that can help to advance your mission. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in a nonprofit or for-profit, no one has a limitless budget. Uh, there, there's... Uh, yes. Everybody yes. has some constraint on resources, on people, on dollars, on whatever it is. And so if you take the idea of we're, we're going to better understand how somebody is navigating this path and what, where they're getting stuck or, or what they prefer over something else. Yeah. And then you, you, you guide your efforts based upon those findings of how to do better. Um, you can really... Uh, if if your if your mission is to help more people or to do good somehow, yeah. I I think you can do more of it. Well, and uh, at at Handrail, you know, one of uh, our our mission is really to drive human understanding. That that's our big and 
we, we're trying to help people get there through research, but we also say that uh, good design starts with understanding. Yep. So understanding the context, the needs, are, are all critically important. And I know you, you use the term friction point a couple times. We use that term a lot, too. It's so, again, what in goal-based design, what are they trying to do? In a particular context, like what are they trying to accomplish? And then what are the friction points that are preventing them from, from doing that? Yeah. And that can help prioritize. Like you said, nobody has an uh, unlimited budget, but if we know this is where value is really created for our customers, then we can also organize our internal projects to, to That's align. It. That's it. And, and that brings us right back to collaboration. Yeah. And it also brings us back to leadership. It, it, it really does. Yeah. So while to be successful in UX or CX work, you're going to have to play a team sport as you said. Um, I, I think also you have, uh, if you don't get the full attention of executive leadership at the front end of your project, one of your goals should be um, to gain their attention as you had down the path. Because you're going to find, if you can help more people by changing X or Y, yep. that, I mean, that's, that's why you're all there to begin with. And, uh, and, and that goes for if you can sell more stuff as well too. The, the for-profit scenario, which is yeah. actually where I think most of this work comes from, uh, you know, being able to be better in business uh, is 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 great, uh, but when you apply those same principles to here's how we can fulfill our mission to help more people, um, I, I think it's even for me it's even more compelling. And so, yeah. So all right. Okay. So uh, in an ideal scenario, how do UX and CX work together? Uh, in an ideal scenario, uh, just. I'd say they're well orchestrated. Yeah. Uh, everybody's uh, kind of uh, you know, might sound a little bit cliche, but they're they're all in the boat rowing in the same direction. Yeah. And they they all know how their parts contribute to where the, where they're going. Um, so I think it is also understanding um, what what types of projects they might be tackling, and who who from a CX approach or a UX approach might be best suited. To, to take, take point or take lead. It's still it's collaboration, but right. I think about uh, kind of alignment, yeah. clar- clarity of vision, clarity of mission, and then how they're going to get it done. Right. Uh, and for me, it, it it almost doesn't matter the the discipline. It's always uh, can you play well together? Yeah. And get stuff done. Yeah, I think I think that's it. And you know, UX and CX can live in different areas. In an ideal world, I would structure a CX team with the UX team as a key part of it. Uh, that doesn't always happen. Uh, right. and, and UX may be distributed across different product or business areas. Yeah. Um, uh, CX may actually be something that resides more so in marketing, maybe sales, probably marketing. Um, but I, what I would encourage anyone, if you find that uh, you're in your business or organization or whatever, if there's UX team members and CX team members in different departments, um, you, you do have to band together and yeah. form a partnership. Even if, I, I throw away the org chart. That, that really doesn't, it's not even a germane subject as far as I'm concerned. Um, success for the organization, whether it's nonprofit mission or whether it's better sales or whether it's loyalty or whatever you're trying to achieve, yeah, brand. Um, uh, I mean, if you're in different departments, that doesn't mean you can't or shouldn't work together. You you really should. 
Yeah, I think too is like throwing out the org chart. You know, one of the radical things is that um, a lot of businesses are still organized around uh, kind of the assembly line mentality. Yeah, and again, that is that it, it's hard to be reactive to customer need and uh, changing market conditions because you fall. This is the way we have always done things. This is what we've been responsible. And so, how do you how do you shake that up a, a little bit? Yeah, is, yeah. is important. Well, when you sign up to do UX or CX work. Um, even though this may not be your intent, I think you're going to end up shaking up things a little bit. And if you're in an environment that is, when I worked in technology, I worked in organizations that we ripped ourselves apart and rebuilt the organization every 12 to 18 months. And that was just, at least where I worked, that was a normal thing. Um, in other environments where organizations do not move at that pace, where the marketplace is much more traditional um, and the idea of ripping apart your organization every 12 to 18 months and rebuilding it is, is, is horrifying to even consider and, and impossible to probably do. Um, I think what you have to realize is that if you're doing UX or CX work, you are contributing most likely to change. And so if you're in an environment that's a, on a continuous cycle of change, um, uh, you have a really important role. If you're in an environment where change is just a slower pace and it's, uh, it requires uh, a whole different level of effort, it's certainly not on that 12 to 18 month ripping everything apart cycle. Um, I think your change role in UX or CX can actually be almost more radical or I think more important, that's probably a matter of opinion, but because uh, you get to point out, you get to bring to the conversation how, things that are helping the humans or the customers you're trying to serve, how, how things are going well and how things are not going well. Yeah. And, and, you know, in a slower moving organization where it may take a real, pretty radical decision to, to make a change that's going to take two or three years to implement. Um, I would hope that your role in UX or CX would, would you'd contribute to that. I think so. I think uh, a, lot, uh, a lot of different elements of change management uh, yes. are good things to have in your toolkit as well as a practitioner. You should have a friend in your HR change management uh, talent team as yeah. well too. I, I, that, that, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. I, I used to work with uh, an organizational designer and change management specialist uh, and very, very wise, wise woman. Uh, and early in my career, she, one of the things that she helped me out with uh, change management is framing something as, now remember when you are introducing change, you're killing an old idea. Yeah. Yeah. And there are, there are people who uh, maybe built their reputation, as we you know, the, are we calling your baby ugly, or right. we say what you did was wrong. So just being super empathetic about what what your changes might bring forward. And the hard part, uh, uh, this has helped me in my career, is also I've been told uh, that we judge ourselves based on our intent, because we know what we're trying to do, but we judge others on their behavior, because that's what we can observe. It's hard to understand people's intent. Uh, And so that's just being very cautious too, as as a change agent of any kind, on how you're gonna get it done, and. And is it going to be lasting change? Right. right. And, you know, I guess we should say there are organizations, I know in the technology world, where UX 
drives all sorts of decisions. It is, it is embedded in the organization. Yep. It's how they do what they do. Right. That, that's not the case everywhere. And so if you're not in an organization where everybody understands that on behalf of the brand and on behalf of the organization and on behalf yeah. of next quarter's results, um, uh, you know, we're going to observe what's good or bad, what's easy, what's hard, what's liked, what's not liked, and we're going to marshal our resources and decisions accordingly. Um, yeah, that, that's, that, that's not the majority of organizations out there. And right. so, uh, and, that, and actually, some of the most interesting challenges for UX and CX professionals, I think, are probably outside of those organizations. But uh, it's good to understand the landscape of what you're doing and, uh, and where you're doing it. Yeah. And, you know, um, realize that what you propose with your findings of your customer journey map or your user interface analysis or whatever uh, may have a, it may resonate much further than just you know your email to your boss we've, we've touched on a lot of stuff anything else that you'd like to talk about yeah well I no, I we've covered a lot I think one of the things too is just for me is helping people understand like the the power of goal-based design and goal-based scenarios is yeah. what what is somebody really trying to accomplish so what what is the the, the beneficiary or, or the patient or the student uh, the customer the user yeah what are they trying to accomplish in what context and what's preventing them from doing that and then how might we improve that for them or what opportunities are there to change but I, I think being able to organize around the customer yeah. is critical right and it it for me it, it helps reduce a lot of noise. Yeah. At least the ideation, which yeah. actually puts us at in our closing it. Yes. yes and. Yes and. Yes and. And once again, if you've not read the book, yes and um uh you should check it out. All right, well Matt, thank you for your time. Um all of your insights and your uh, professional expertise and user experience are, are greatly appreciated. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. All right. Uh, uh, yeah, thanks for the time. All right, good deal. Thanks. Take care. This has been Social Impact CX Podcast Episode 24, which is part three of three in my conversation with UX expert Matt Arnold. And as I've said before, Social Impact CX is also intended to be an interactive place, a place to stir conversations, answer questions, provide some context and definitions, hopefully achieve a better understanding of customer experience work and user experience work, and all that important research that goes into both UX and CX. So what questions do you have after listening to my discussion with Matt? Questions about user experience or anything else that came to mind as we were talking. You can ask a question or make a comment at Social Impact CX a couple different ways. First, you can send an email to comment at socialimpactcx.com. You can also find us on Twitter and post a question there. Our Twitter handle is socialimpactcx. And please follow us on Twitter to stay up to date with new podcasts and other related content. You can also find me on Twitter at the handle John F. Corrigan. Or if you're listening to the podcast via YouTube or SoundCloud, uh, please feel free to post a question in the comments section there. And uh, we'll do our best to get back to you. And while you're at YouTube, also please subscribe to the Social Impact CX YouTube channel where we post videos and other things as well. This is John Corrigan reminding you that, especially in social impact work, it's important to understand that your mission is really all about someone else's journey. And the more you know about someone's journey, the more you can help.
Thanks for listening to Social Impact CX.